This is a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor, I just play doctor online. Back in the fall of 1983, I started my first year of art school. Uh, that spring, I had graduated high school, so this was just uh, sort of the you know, somewhat natural progression of going to the next grade, 13 grade, if you will, grade 13, however you want to say it. Uh, and when I started at the art school, I still had a lot of the high school in me. Um, same hairstyle, I was wearing the same kind of clothes. In fact, uh, being at school for a month or two, one of my fellow students uh, said to me, you know, essentially, hey man, you're, you're out of high school now. Stop wearing the jacket. <laughs> I had my high school jacket that I kept wearing. And um, and I think and I took that advice to heart. I stopped wearing it, and I, I began to be exposed to a different crowd, uh, punks, goths, uh, the artsy fartsy types, uh, just exploring ourselves a little bit, just breaking away from the uh, the old trappings of high school, trying to redefine who you were or expand who you were, something like that. And uh, I, you know, I was, I was getting into that. Suddenly my hairstyle changed, got kind of weird looking, the kind of clothes I would wear changed quite a bit. Uh, no, it wasn't all black like I wear now. Back then, boy, it was colorful stuff. It was tacky looking suit jackets or sometimes tasteful suit jackets. My dad's dress army jacket, uh, you know, just stuff like that. And then weird looking pants and, and colorful t-shirts or, you know, dress shirts and stuff. Just stuff. And I did my hair weird and, you know, I was, uh, I wasn't quite a punk. I wasn't quite goth, but just some sort of artsy, weird looking guy. And my musical tastes changed. I was exposed to punk rock and post-punk and goth music and some industrial stuff. I was I was exposed to this different kind of music. And in fact, at some point, I completely embraced it. Well, maybe not every band, not every song was up my alley. But I, you know, in high school, I was into Styx and Journey and Foreigner and Def Leppard and Rush, Cheap Trick, The Who, of course. I had just started my love affair with The Who uh, a year or two before, a year or so before that. And um, 
after discovering this new music, virtually all the old stuff went almost literally out the window. In fact, I seem to recall driving with a friend and having a cassette of some band that I no longer thought was cool, and I tossed it out the window. I think I did that. Litterbug. What a jerk. But somebody could have found it and said, Ooh, 400 4. <laughs> hey! <laughs> My lucky day! Uh, anyway, um, but I still hung on to Rush and Cheap Trick and, of course, The Who. But uh, Journey, Sticks, Foreigner, they were gone. Now that I've gotten older, more nostalgic for my youth, I suppose, uh, some of those songs that I liked by those bands, some of them have come... I've, I've come back around to saying, yeah, that's not terrible. I, you know, yes, it's corporate rock, but what the hell? You know, it's not that. It's not so bad. But I got into this punk rock thing. Uh, didn't didn't quite warm up to it right away. It was. Uh, uh, I can recall uh, Gene, one of the guys I went to school with. He was real punk. He had the mohawk and the leather jacket and the boots and and stuff. But he was very nice guy. Very cool. And um, he would bring in his boombox and he would play the Sex Pistols while we're in drawing class. Not exactly conducive <laughs> to drawing, because the stuff was pretty aggressive and angry. But uh, at first I was, eh, I don't know about this. Well, coincidentally, I was, you know, indulging my obsession with the Who in the early days back then, and Pete Townsend. And I was reading about them, and I read that uh, both Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend had praised the coming of punk rock at the time that it broke in the UK and then in America. Um, well, it didn't really break big in America, but it, it did happen. Uh, it was it was more popular in the UK, but not in the States so much. But um, when that came about, uh, Townsend was talking about how you know the, the old guy rockers, now in their 30s, didn't have to keep the energy up didn't have to keep the freshness uh, that uh, that youth has with rock music. He said, the kids have it again. The kids are all right, to coin a phrase. And so they, they have the music again. And they were excited about it. And I thought, well, hell, if Pete Townsend likes punk rock, uh, let's give it some more. So I started listening, and I, I it clicked. Something clicked. It worked. And it got into my brain... And sudden, and, and well, not too soon, uh, uh, not uh, not long after that, I became a real music snob. And you know, if it's on the radio, it can't be good. Became my attitude. And I had a partner in crime, if you will, at this time, a friend of mine that was exploring this new form, at least new to us, of music, which would be considered alternative today. They didn't have that phrase back then. We called it underground, punk, post-punk, whatever. And it was my friend John, who uh, I was friends with since uh, high school. Junior high, high school. And I was friends with since high school, for sure. And we started hanging out more and more and more once we graduated high school. He went to the University of Minnesota. I was going to art school in St. Paul. And we would just hang out. We'd go to First Avenue, and we, were, we would go to the record stores together. We were, we were, we were exploring this music. We were finding things. Uh, we generally liked what each other liked, generally, through most of it. But once in a while, you know, he might have a band that he favored more than I did, and I might have a band I favored more than he did. But you know how that is. And there was, I can recall one day... 
we were um, digging through some uh, bargain bin in a uh, record store that uh, you know, they were they were cassettes albums on cassette at a discount price so we're looking through there and he scarfed up a, uh, an album by Gary Newman called uh, Pleasure Principle. This is my, if my memory serves. Remember, this is all going by memory, so I could be completely wrong, but I, this is what I remember. So he, gra- he got that one, and then I spotted this one by a band, uh, uh, it's an album called A Different Kind of Tension by a band named Buzzcocks. I like the name. That intrigued me. The artwork on the uh, cassette was interesting, and it was cheap, so I bought it. And then uh, John and I eventually, we, you know, we got back into his car and uh, started just kind of driving around. And uh, he said, uh, "Why don't you put in that one cassette that you just got?" Because he he looked at it too. He didn't grab it. He says, "You grabbed it," but he looked at it. He gave it some thought. But uh, I I was the one that took the chance on it because we had heard of Gary Newman anyway. I don't think the song "Cars" that's his big song. I don't think that's on Pleasure Principle, but I don't know for sure. But uh, you know, we at least heard of him. We never heard of the Buzzcocks. So, so I break that out and we play it. And from the first song on that album, a song called Paradise, we just were we knew. Oh, these guys are great. This is great. This is right in our wheelhouse. You know, it's it's punk rock and yet it's and yet it's pop music. The the, the Buzzcocks uh, came out of the punk movement in, in the mid '70s in the UK. They were formed in 1976. And uh, uh, they were formed by um, Howard Devoto and Pete Shelley. Howard Devoto soon left the band and, and ended up starting another band called Magazine about a year or so after he left the Buzzcocks. And then Pete, you know, and the guys that were still in it, you know, recruited more members and or and got a four-piece band together. And they were pretty raw at first, but they had a a pop sensibility to their music, melodies, hooks, harmonies. All while being fast and aggressive and and angry and angst-ridden and and frustrated, with all you know, all that that punk ethos was part of it as well. So they they infused the two, and they would create these great power punk pop songs. These three-minute songs, just they were great. And 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 this album, a different kind of tension, is a fantastic album. It's uh, my favorite of theirs. And, and so we were just, you know, John said, wow, you got the good one. Because <laughs> it kicked ass, this album. So we started looking into the band. And we found out that they broke up in 1981. Yeah, crap. <laughs> Timing is everything. Now we'll never get to see them. But we also learned that uh, Pete Shelley had uh, gone solo. Now, Pete Shelley was the principal songwriter and singer for the band, the Buzzcocks. There was another fellow in the band named Steve Diggle who also would write songs and sing. But um, mainly it was Pete Shelley's band. So uh, he did some solo stuff, and his solo stuff was it had some of the same elements that the Buzzcocks had. Of course, you know it, it would because it's Pete Shelley. He was writing most of the stuff for the Buzzcocks anyway. So yeah, it would have some of those elements. But he brought in more of a synth pop uh, sense to it and a dance club kind of sense to it as well. The songs were a little more dance club sort of songs uh and there'd be some more acoustic guitar in there than than would show up in in the buzzcocks tunes and it was it's very interesting stuff in fact all the bumpers i'm going to be using tonight when i go to my breaker breaks are going to be pete shelley songs because because they're really good 
And um, anyway, so he was coming in concert to the Twin Cities, to Minneapolis, First Avenue and 7th Street Entry uh, in, the, in 1986. So John and I, of course, we got our tickets there. And, and the way I remember it, uh, the club wasn't packed. I mean, there's a good crowd there, but it wasn't packed to the gills the way I, the way it can get. Uh, but there was a decent crowd there, and uh, Pete came out with his band and started the, the, the show with the song Telephone Operator, and uh, which is his one of his solo tracks. It's a really good song, and okay, and and we we were familiar with his solo stuff by this time too. So we we knew the song. So it's okay, cool, and then we're getting into it. And there was about a dozen or so guys right down front, John and I included, that were just so into what was going on. We were going bonkers because not only was he playing some of his you know his cool solo stuff, but he was playing Buzzcocks tunes. And we didn't have a chance to see the Buzzcocks in concert because they had broken up before we'd even heard of them. And now we get a chance to hear the songs, and at least it's Pete Shelley's voice. And you know, and so man, we were so into it. It was just, it was fantastic. He plays out his first set or the main set, and they leave the stage, and then you know they come back out to do an encore of two or three songs, and then they leave again. But the the crowd is just going nuts. We're pounding on the stage and clapping and stomping and you know demanding he come back out. You know, one more song, one more song. Uh, and he did. He came out and he played Telephone Operator again. And we thought it was great. I mean, he must have been, you know, the band might have been through all their material for, you know, the rehearsed stuff for the tour. Maybe I don't know. He just said, well, let's just play Telephone Operator again. And it, but it was great. It was great. It was so good. And then, in 1989, the Buzzcocks reunited. They began touring and producing new albums. Uh, the very When they first got to back together in 1989, it was that same lineup that had broken up in 1981. Uh, and that lasted for a little while, but the, eventually the, the bass player and the drummer uh, were replaced by younger guys, but Steve Diggle and Pete Shelley were still, you know, they're the main guys of the band because they produce, you know, they write the songs and do the lead singing. And so they they came out and uh, uh, came or got back together and they started touring and they came to First Avenue. Uh, actually, they came to First Avenue several times. Uh, and uh, John and I saw them, I think, at least three times, maybe four times at First Avenue when they came through. And just every show was just chock full of great Buzzcocks tunes, just jumping up and down, slam dancing, pogoing, skanking. You know, we were just going crazy for it. It was just just too exhaustion, I'm telling you. Just too exhaustion. There was one time I went to see them, and I wasn't feeling so well. Uh, I had a cold or something, I was, but I but I got out there because, damn it, this was good stuff. <laughs> and uh, the shows were always were always top notch. That Pete Shelley, his solo thing, that that one ranks as one of my all time favorites. And but the other Buzzcocks shows, they were all also very really good, especially that first one. Uh, in fact, after one of the the day after one of their shows, they were doing an in store appearance at a, a record store that was just down the that used to be just down the block from where First Avenue is. And uh, and I went with their with their latest album on on the CD format and and they they all signed it. I still have it. At least I better still have it. I think I still have it. It's upstairs in a box somewhere. Um and it it's just they were such a good band. So great. 
Well, this past Thursday, a friend of mine who uh, lives in the UK was posting on Facebook Buzzcock songs. And the, you know, if the first one he posted is a song of theirs called What Do I Get? And I put in the comments, oh, I knew I liked you for a reason. And then he posted another song, which was, I think, their biggest hit, Ever Fall in Love with Someone You Shouldn't Have. Uh, that song, if you've seen the movie Shrek, uh, there's a, it's somebody else does the song, but it's, it's, that, it's them. <laughs> uh, Fine Young Cannibals did a cover of the song, and, and it was a bigger hit for them than it was for the Buzzcocks. But it's, you know. And so he posted that, and I was great. And then I saw that he had posted a BBC News article that Pete Shelley had died. He, apparently of a heart attack. He was 63 years old. And I just went, oh, that's why you're sharing these. Oh, man. So I was a bit bummed. Um... Yeah, he, he now there won't be any new music from him. So I spent today, you know, preparing the segment, listening to his uh, solo stuff on my Spotify. Um, it's yeah, it's kind of a bummer because you know there's a connection to your youth, to this great moment that you had at uh, at a concert, and one of the guys that that made the music for you that performed up there is gone now, and so we move on. Anyway, I think I'll take my first break a little early tonight because uh, somebody else died, and uh, there's more to talk about there. <laughs> You're listening to uh, Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. The first song you're going to hear in the bumpers as I go to this break, uh, it is the song Telephone Operator. Uh, it's by the great Pete, uh, Pete Shelley. almost said Pete Townsend. No, it's Pete Shelley. Died at age 63, too young. To Z Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. Hey y'all, this is Tangina. You're gonna give me whiplash looking up there too. I've cleaned many houses, and I don't know what it is that hovers over Dr. Dem's house. But it was strong enough to punch a hole into this world and take his wallet away from him. And I think what we might be dealing with is the beast. Hold on. Did you just say that Dr. Dim doesn't believe in poltergeists, tiny fortune tellers, or the beast? Well, holy sh! Why the didn't somebody tell me? Anyway, Dr. Dim's a skeptic. He'll be right back. On ztalkradio.com. I still think this house is clean. Carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless gas that can be fatal. Don't use anything indoors that burns fuel, such as gasoline-powered generators, camp stoves and lanterns, or charcoal grills. Opening doors and windows or using fans isn't enough. 
have your vents and chimneys checked to make sure water heater and gas furnace exhausts aren't blocked. If you feel sick, dizzy, or weak while using a generator, get to fresh air right away. From the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Welcome back to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. A show filled with death tonight. Uh, Before I get to the next death, I wanted to revisit this little cartoon that I talked about last week. When I was listening to the the playback in the chat room with uh, Trisha and Craig. Hi guys. Uh, When I was listening, something occurred to me that I didn't mention that I should have mentioned, should have thought of, uh, to mention on that show. And that is, uh, let me remind you, the, the the cartoon, I put up a little sketch of it in last week's show notes, so you can see I couldn't find the original that was floating around the internet, so I put together a little sketch of it. Craig said it was one of my finest drawings. <clears throat> anyway, it shows, it's a stick figure of two fellows pointing at a number that's, that's laying on the ground. Uh... And one of the fellows is a Democrat, one of them is a Republican. To the Democrat, the number looks like a nine. To the Republican, it looks like a six. That's the first frame of this two-frame two com- uh, comic strip. That was showing the way things used to be. Uh, there's, there's, it's the same thing. They're looking at the same thing, but depending on their point of view, they see that same thing differently. And then they say, today, this is how it is. And it's the same image, essentially, except the Democrat is now pointing at the Republican and calling him a racist. Uh, I, and, the, and the Republican is still, you know, looking at the number. Well, I talked about how that's probably not as accurate as what I seem to be seeing, at least on social media, as far as that goes, because both of them should be pointing at each other and just yelling evil or something like that. But the thing that I... there's. The implication is that, uh, at least from I think what this cartoon is trying to tell us is that uh, things have changed at such a point that you know when, instead of just disagreeing with each other, we attack each other, or at least the one side attacks us, uh, or attacks the other side. I shouldn't say us because you know, I'm not necessarily on either side when it comes to what that number is. Uh, they're both right. Anyway. Um, but there's a, there's something else that's implied in there, and that is, in the old days, there was, and this was the part that I should have thought to mention last week. In the old days, there was the possibility of coming around to the other person's point of view and looking at the problem the way they see it, and saying, "Oh, I see how you see it." There was that possibility. You know, the Democrat could go over to the the Republicans side to take a look at it. The Republican could go over to the Democrat side to take a look at it and see that different point of view. They may not agree with it. 
They may still think the number is what they thought the number was at the beginning, but at least they can see, oh, I can see where you're coming from. I can see your point. Ah, I, you know, there's that. But what happens when they, as I would have drawn this cartoon, where they're both pointing at each other and they're yelling at each other, instead of saying, I think I'm right and I think you're wrong, saying, I, I'm right and you're evil, uh, that... So that stops the one person from coming over to the other person's side to take a look at the problem, the number, the thing from their point of view, from the other, to see it from a different perspective, to maybe understand, maybe not agree, maybe not you know, you know change your, their mind, but still getting a chance to see how the other was looking at the problem. When you're yelling at each other, pointing fingers at each other, calling each other names. The chances of trying to see it from the other point of the other's point of view becomes even less. So I should have thought to say that last week, but it did occur to me, so I said it this week. Okay. Uh, President George H. W. Bush died. Uh, I guess it was last Friday, and <clears throat> it uh, he was ninety four, ninety five. He was up there, and so it's not, it's not terribly surprising. But I'm telling you, the internet lost its shit. They just they went you know not everybody of course, but you know so if the shoe doesn't fit you, don't worry about putting it on. But the internet just went crazy about President Trump and the funeral. Oh, it's just you know his arms are crossed. He didn't look at the program. He didn't put his hand over his heart. He didn't recite the Apostles' Creed. I mean, it's just, for, you know, for Christ's sake, put the goddamn magnifying glass down, people. You know, the man gives you enough on just, in just, just your unaided eyes and ears. You don't have to get a magnifying glass. You don't have to get, you know, you don't have to get one of those cones to put to your ear so that the sound comes in better. You don't have to do that. He, he gives you plenty to be uh, uh, upset with him about, to be angered about, enraged, embarrassed, to disagree with, to think that this guy shouldn't be our president and he certainly shouldn't get reelected. You know, it, it, he gives you plenty. It's just, everybody's just, not everybody. Those that hate him are just, they're becoming so unhinged. They're looking an awful lot like the people that hated Trump's predecessor, Obama. The ones that hated Obama. And how, remember how unhinged they could look? There was nothing President Obama could do that would be any good, and they would they they bring out the magnifying glasses and they said, "Boy, he did he bowed down to this guy. Oh, he didn't do this. He did. You know, it's just they look at all this stuff, and they freaked out. And some of you who are freaking out about Trump, I'm sure looked at that and said, "What's wrong with these people?" <laughs> well, that's kind of what you're looking like now. So, you know, can't we just, as I said on the Facebook, I, I, I said, can't we just, you know, let off the gas pedal a little bit? I mean, there was some funny stuff. You know, he did have his arms crossed at some point. But, you know, that could just be comfortable. 
It's not like, uh, get me, you know, you, you read it in the way you ever, whatever way you want to read it in. You know, it's, it's like I was talking about it last week. You can find an image, you, you spin a narrative, and, the, and you find an image that fits that. He's a petulant child. Look how he's acting. Arms crossed. Gee, I'm sure he was the only person in the church that had his arms crossed. Well, he was the only president in that pew with the arms crossed. I, I don't know why. Maybe he was being petulant. Maybe not. He's, he, he seemed, the way people were reacting, you would swear he got up and went over to, the, to, the, to Bush's casket and got up on it and took a shit on it. That's how they were reacting. Settle down. So, you know, so but I found a picture where he's holding the program. Now he's not, he's not, he doesn't have it laid across his lap the way Obama did and Bill Clinton did and Jimmy Carter did. But he was holding it in his hands and he held it down and he had it down between his knees. He's looking at the person who was ever speaking. He's looking at them. But of course, you know, so he's not looking so petulant. He had the appropriately serious look on his face. Uh, he's, you know, he seems to be paying attention at least in the picture. But, you know, Obama and Clinton and Carter, they all have their he their ch their heads held high. Their chin is pointed up a little higher than Trump, so I guess Trump's not being presidential in that picture either. And then somebody found an image where everybody else has their hand over their heart, except for Trump. The only thing is, at some point, Trump put his hand over his heart. And... You know, I found a picture with him do, with his hand over his heart. You know who didn't have their hands over their hearts? The Carters in that picture. So should we treat them as un-American? It's just, settle down. He, he gives you enough. You don't have to work so hard to find stuff. He gives you enough. Just kind of say, yeah. I mean, there were some opinion pieces about how this, the talks that were given at the uh, at the service, you know that people could be looking over at Trump, saying, uh, "Are you listening to this? Are you listening?" You know they could be doing that, uh, and, you know, it's, and that's I, that's a valid opinion. And, and one person did say that she thought that he he should have appeared to have part, to participate more within the service she she said he didn't look at his program he didn't sing you know he didn't he didn't appear to participate and i said well fair enough that's what you saw but i in i don't know and and he didn't say the apollo's creed i had facebook friends who i think are atheists posting some article about him not saying the apollo's creed Apollo's Creed? <laughs> Apostles' Creed. Did I say Apollo's Creed before? Have I been saying Apollo's Creed this whole time? Can I ask the producer? Hey, producer? Oh, wait a minute. I am the producer. If I've been saying Apollo's Creed, uh, well, the Apollo Creed was the guy from the Rocky movies. Apostles' Creed. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> the Apostles' Creed. He didn't say that. That's the affirmation of what we believe. We believe in God. We believe in heaven. We believe in life after death. We believe in Jesus the Son. We believe in blah, blah, blah. I used, I used to say that in church once in a while. And, and, and so he didn't say it. And, and some atheists are posting it. And I just was commenting, so? So what? Is that a... I guess it's speculation. Does he know it? Is he really Christian? He says he is. I, I look. So what? Maybe he was thinking it inside his head. 
God can read in there, can he? Okay, enough of him. Well, because it's George H.W. Bush, and it's a president, and there are two parties in our country, and there are liberals and, 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 and conservatives and moderates, and, you know, because there are these things, and there's this polar, you know, there's the partisanship and all this kind of stuff, of course you're going to have people that are going to be all upset and want to just completely denigrate President George H.W. Bush because he did bad things when he was off in his office. You know, forget all the good things he did because he did the bad things. He did all these bad things. And it's like, you know, yes, let's not forget about it. Let's not whitewash it. Let's not make it go away and pretend it's not there. Let's not do that. You know, let's let's it, at that time. You know, we can focus on the good stuff. And, and you know, what are you going to do at a funeral? God, this guy was an asshole. Are you going to come up and say that? No, you're not going to say that. But what? there was an article that I read. It was in the St. Paul paper, but it was a reprinting of, uh, of an article from the uh, Houston, one of the Houston newspapers or Houston Post or something like that, where a guy had written up a, a retrospective of President you know, Bush 41, of his, of his life and his service to the country is in the military and then to the various political positions he held and and, and and ultimately as president you know and yeah brought up some of the stuff iran contra the reluctance to face the aids epidemic or the aids crisis well, epidemic might be a little too strong but the AIDS crisis to to face it and to do something you know to really get on board with that, but but also did talk about him signing in the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act and signing in some you know funding for AIDS research and you know the Clean Air Act and uh, stuff like that and building a coalition of nations to face off against Iraq to get you know Iraq out of Kuwait. You know, and people had stuff to be mad about with the Kuwait thing. There was an article I read where somebody was obviously partisan toward the left and there was just didn't like Republicans, and that showed in their write-up. And they had points that were valid about some of the bad stuff, but it was done at such... you know The, the, the piece that I read in the St. Paul paper was much more even-handed about what they were doing about what they were saying, about the picture of the man that they were uh, putting into words in this article. This other piece, which was on, I think, The Intercept, some website that uh, apparently is a more liberal political site, that just just had a, a real skewed view of, of Bush 41, skewed against him, so that to really magnify all the stuff that they thought was bad, you know, they, they called him a war criminal. A, a war criminal? What was his war crime? It, what was his war crime? And people will say the war crime. At least in that article, he pointed to the destruction of uh, of, infra of infrastructure in Iraq, which led to some pretty serious hardships in Iraq after the war was done. And you know, people got you know hungry and died, and there was and there were some you know civilians were killed in the bombings. There was that happened. Well, you know, it is war, and 
uh, I have a good friend who had said, you know, please explain how we separate uh, civilian infrastructure from military infrastructure. How is that different? You know, if you're knocking out power plants and roadways and bridges and such so that it makes it difficult for, the, for Iraq to move their forces around their country, that, that's the same stuff that their civilians use too. So that's going to happen. And the people who are so upset about this, this war criminal, you know, it's like you, you, they seem to forget that at any point, you know, when the bombings started, and the bombings lasted for, I think, three months before the ground campaign took place. I think that's what it was. The ground campaign lasted 100 hours, and the forces were done. They were out of Kuwait, and, and then we stopped. We stopped Bush, that that's what the UN said that we could do, and that's as far as we went. You know, there were those that wanted to push on, but no, Bush said, no, this is, this. I, we, we stop here. This is what we said we'd do. And let's hope that the people within Iraq will rise up and take us out of power. But that didn't happen. And that, you know, that's the complexity of human life on Earth. But I don't see how that makes him a war criminal. You know, they just have to. They just have to find a way to just to turn it away. You know, I'm not saying that they that everything he did was peaches and cream and wonderful and great. But gee whiz, everybody. Gee whiz. Um. The event was not without its touching moments. Uh. Oh, you know, it, it, the. I you know I'm I try to try to cultivate an idea that uh, that I I have no emotions, <laughs> but you know that I do. And when I was watching the the, the talks, uh, you know the ceremony, yeah, there's all the God stuff. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, there's all the God stuff. Uh, there were two moments where I got fairly emotional. Uh, and that was when George W. Bush, uh, uh, Bush 43, got up to talk. And he gave a good talk about his dad and you know, how he was as a president, as a father, and, and such. And then when he got to the end of it, he just couldn't, he couldn't hold it together. You know, he broke down just, just, just for a moment. And it was at that, he's just like, oh, you could feel that. And, you know, I have a dad. I have a mom. It's got to be rough. And then uh, the the other big feels moment was uh, when uh, a pastor, somebody who had uh, gotten to know the Bushes very well and had been their their pastor for years, I guess, uh, and in the end days of uh, Bush 41's life, uh, he talked about uh, the friends that were there and how they, you know, and the family that were there and interacting with, uh, with, with Bush Sr. And he talked about Bush's friend James Baker. Now, James Baker was Secretary of State. He was uh, Secretary of the Treasury, I think under Reagan. Secretary of State. He was also the White House Chief of Staff. This was a powerful man in politics. And this pastor paints this picture of this powerful man rubbing 
uh, HW's feet to just to give him some to give him some comfort while the guy was you know lying on his deathbed. He's rubbing his feet, and the camera was focused right on James Baker, and Baker just completely broke down, just lost it. It was oh boy, <laughs> that was that was that was that was big. And and I, I, you know, again, there's all the God stuff that took, takes place. But what do you expect? The, the guy believed in God. Um, a lot of people still believe in God, and so they go through all that. Yeah, that's part of it. That's what's going to happen. I'm sure there were a few atheists in there. I'll have a little bit more to talk about this, just a little bit, and try to sneak in something else, if I can. Uh, when I get back from this break, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I'll be back momentarily. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. You don't say. Oh, what? You think you went off to college or something? On ztalkradio.com. That's the most amazing thing since Grandma survived the outhouse incident. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Valtor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. If this station's not your cup of tea, then drink coffee! 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 Drink coffee! 100% news. 100% information. 100% guarantee. Thought you might say that. (laughs) You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I am your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, going over the high and low lights of the of the uh, of the Bush funeral from this past week. Um, 
there's let's see the uh, apostles creed apostles creed not apollo's creed apostles creed boy it'll be interesting to listen back to this next week and see how many times i said it wrong anyway um it's it's the it's the prayer or the statement that uh that you know religious christians make uh i guess the 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 Protestants do it a lot more, say it a lot, or recite it a lot more often than the Catholics do. But it runs down this list of things that we just check off that we believe in. And there's a line in there about believing in the Holy Catholic Church. And being raised Catholic as I was, I've heard them say that. And when they were reciting the creed, and I thought, wait a minute, the Bushes aren't Catholic. What? Huh? You know, it it hit me weird. Why? Because, like I said, I was raised Catholic, so whenever we said it in the in at church, I always saw the word in my head with a capital C. Well, when I read the article or one of the opinion pieces or something about about Trump not reciting it, they they put, you know, they quoted it in there, and they had a lowercase c, and I went, oh, oh. See, I believe the word Catholic, with this lowercase uh, c, means uh, universal or all-encompassing, uh, Thorough kind of you know, uh, I can recall there's a there's a British sitcom that I really it's one of my it's it is, it is my favorite uh, British sitcom it's called Good Neighbors or The Good Life it was, as was called in the UK and one of the characters uh, gets a bunch of newspapers because she thinks she's going to be in it and uh, and she just says oh no I just thought we should be more Catholic in our reading as you know of the news and and it it, it didn't. Uh, and that's, I think that's when I first got the idea that that's what that phrase means. And then I think you, know, you look it up, it means something similar to that. And that's what it means. It means it's, that is the church, you know, it's the holy universal church. You know, it's not, it's, they don't mean Catholic as in Pope Francis uh, and, you know, Pope John Paul II, you know, those popes in the Vatican and the Roman, that, they don't mean that Catholic. They just, they mean the universal church we believe in that and so, so oh so i learned a little something hadn't thought of it from that perspective what can i say i'm a dipshit sometimes <laughs> public education amy and i had uh, been watching um a, a series uh by the, by cnn uh called uh, uh the 90s they have a series for the 60s, one for the 70s, one for the 80s, and now they have one for the 90s. It's on Netflix streaming, so we were watching it, and they were doing an episode about Bill Clinton uh, called The Comeback Kid. And um, there was a, a bit of archival footage of a young Bill Clinton announcing he was running for president, and part of what he said in that announcement was that he wanted to, quote, make America great again and amy and i went uh, uh what's that <laughs> huh what huh what so i mentioned it on the facebook 
And a Trump hater jumped in and said, well, of course, because, you know, Trump can't be original, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, of course. And then <laughs> I had a friend say, uh, I think Reagan said that too. And I looked it up. And I found a piece where Reagan is saying, to you know, quoting, to quote him, he wants to, quote, make America great again. And... Yeah, so you know, so when the guy gets dings Trump because Trump can't be original, well, we can ding him and say, well, apparently Bill Clinton couldn't be either because Reagan said it before him, and who knows how many other people might have said it. Uh, the, the the troubling thing is that Trump made it his uh, campaign slogan. It was not so much a, a a hope for the future as as an appeal to the past. You know, when wh what part in America's history do you want to return us to? That was the problem. You know, so where did you think we were great? Yeah, where do you, what are you thinking was we were great? When the Jim Crow South was going? Is that when we were great? Were we great when only the you know rich white property owners could vote? Is that when we were great? What, 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 when? when you know, that's all. You, you know those arguments. It's just interesting how things wrap around. And when we, we heard that, we just went, what? Um... And then one other thing about, you know, how we remember people when they die, and how we get, um, how we'll just remember the good things, and we don't, you know, we whitewash the past, you know, we we tend to do that, you know, so it's like an asshole never dies, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's always the oh they were the nicest person, oh they were sweet and wonderful, and perfect. Well, um, there's a video series on YouTube called Knowing Better. And the fellow on there was talking about that that kind of thing. And his point was, psychologically, we do that because we want people to say that about us when we die. So we say it about other people when they die. We want to be thought of as good people, remembered well, and the bad stuff forgotten. Uh, but one person commented on one of my threads, uh, this is great. And it was it was a thread about uh, Bush and the treatment of uh, you, know, you know why are we whitewashing him? And he says uh, uh, that uh, he's quoting himself. Uh, Screw George H. W. Bush. He was a terrible ghoul who doesn't deserve respect. But then he says he he also says this. Damn it! How dare Trump slouch and look bored during George W. Or George H. W. Bush's funeral? I like that, you know, the duality of man. I don't care about Bush, but damn it, Trump's not treating the, the event respectfully enough. I thought that was pretty good. Um, and, oh, do I have time to sneak this in? Uh, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Uh, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm heading to, to sneak in. Let's see if I can do it. time for another Dimland Radio pedantic moment. What did they get wrong this time, Dim? Well, I'll tell you. There's an ad for a one of the one of the companies, I think it's Pioneer, that sells soybeans. It's an ad on TV aimed toward farmers, you know, soybean growers. And it's got something about the A uh, soybean. A. 
And so you know how in some parts of the country people greet each other by saying, Hey, hey, how you doing? I do it here, you know, hey. Well, they show uh, several people in, 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 a, in a rural town all greeting each other. But instead of saying, hey, they're saying, hey, hey. Because it's you know these soybeans are great and they're all they're all planting them. Hey, hey, and they're all going around. You know, the guy sits down at a counter at uh, at a at a cafe and he's greeted with the chorus of hey. And two people walking by each other on the street. Hey, guy pulls up alongside the soybean seed salesman and looks over and says hey. Where's my pedantic moment? It's a real quick one. There's a guy in a barber shop. There's other dudes sitting around reading the paper. The barber is, is st standing behind the barber chair. The guy already has the tarp on him. The barber's putting the little priest collar around, you know, to help keep the hairs from falling under the under the tarp. And and the guy, he's already seated in the chair. He's and he says to the barber, "Hey, it's no, no, you're already here. Why are you greeting me now?" See, it's a timing thing. I would have I would have had him saying "a" hey, and then sitting down into the chair. Hey, and then sitting down, you know, and having the barber getting the tarp ready and all that. That's me. That's that's what that's what happens when you're pedantic. You see stuff like that. Okay, all right. It's not a little one. It's a little one, but you know, you got to keep an eye out for these things. All right, I got three cool things. I think I got enough time to get these in now. I've got three cool things. Um, the first cool thing, and I'll I'll link to it, um, is there's an hour long. Uh, video. It's the the audio quality and the video quality isn't great, but it's on YouTube and it's an hour-long concert of the Buzzcocks from 1981. So that would be the year they'd be breaking up. But uh, it's a concert footage of showing them. Uh, I think it's part of. There was a German, I believe, it was a German television series called Rock Palast. Palasts. Palast. Rock. I'm not sure how you'd say it. That had a series of uh, concerts, and they would do these alternative bands or you know, punk bands or whatever you want to call them. And uh, and um, they were um, the Buzzcocks were featured on there. It's about an hour long. I'll link to it. I think it's pretty cool. You'll get a good flavor of what they were like live, and uh, and they were so much fun. They were really cool. And it's, I'm sorry that uh, Pete Shelley died so young. Number two, and this is something that was written by. A uh, Facebook friend of mine. Uh, she's fairly well known in the skeptical field. She has a podcast called Fifteen Credibility Street, which I believe is on hiatus right now. Uh, her name is Sharon Hill, and she's pretty well known throughout the skeptic stuff. She's a she's a uh, she's a geologist, and uh, so you know she knows her, you know she knows about science and such. And um, she posted that she was approached by an, a producer for. Uh, um, for a show, for one of those shows. Um, so we'll say, uh, I'll just read, she put up the letter that she received, and I'll read her reply. Uh, it says, uh, Hi Sharon, my name is, I'm a uh, producer working for Prometheus Studios on the new docu-series for the History Channel called The Unexplained 
Prometheus Studios is an Emmy Award-winning production company creating shows including The Curse of Oak Island and Ancient Aliens. While researching geological anom anomalies and paranormal phenomena, I came across your website slash YouTube page and would love to talk further regarding this project. Please let me know if you have any availability for a phone call this week or early next week. Looking forward to connecting best. Uh, whatever her name was. This was uh, Sharon's reply. All the names you mentioned, from the History Channel to both TV shows, are entirely disreputable. So unless a 180-degree turnaround is planned, as a professional geologist, it would be unethical to associate myself with these entities in any fashion. Sorry, but I'm not interested in what sounds like another in a long line of mystery-mongering shows. Uh, and then, and that's that was her response. And then, she, and then Sharon wraps up uh, by telling her Facebook friends, "I no longer have the patience for pleasantries. These people are shallow and kind of dumb." That is a pretty cool response. There is a documentary that's being produced by uh, the Skeptoid guy uh, Brian Dunning and others uh, called Science Friction, and it's about scientists being in shows like these like the unexplained uh where they are taken out of context they're they're tricked into doing these uh documentaries that they're told that it's going to be about something else and then it turns into some mystery mongering thing and it makes the scientists look as though they're agreeing with it or they they short shrift them it's just you know so that's coming out hopefully soon uh, i think they're still funding it uh, yeah, and I think I've even given them a little bit of money myself. Boy, oh, me give money? I don't have any money. <laughs> and uh, the number three cool thing for this week, again, back to the funeral uh, of George H.W. Bush. Um, this was a great moment. Uh, when Bush, when W. was coming in, uh, the families, they, all the Bushes are you know, in that front row. He went over to the row with all the presidents and their wives. And he's, he gives everybody, he shakes everybody's hand. He reaches across and he, he couldn't get all the way to the Carter, to the Clintons. He couldn't, so he comes around to the front and he starts shaking hands and gets to the Clintons and the, and the Carters. Uh, but when he was shaking hands with Michelle Obama, he slipped her a piece of candy, which apparently is what he did at the McCain funeral service. And I, you know, I might go over a little bit this week, which I always do. But let me, let me just ask you about this. Now you know what Venn diagrams are, don't you? They're 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 these diagrams which have these circles, and each circle has a, you know, a certain you know segment of of of, of a population, and what they're interested in, you know, and and then these circles can can cross over each other, and there there's a there's a third group that's into both of these things. And so I'm just doing a, a simple, because you can do lots of circles to do these Venn diagrams, but so I'm just doing a simple two-circle Venn diagram. You have, you have the one circle that's filled with people who love and adore and admire the Obamas. And you have the other circle that have people that hate, abhor, and disdain George W. Bush. And those two circles will intersect. There will be people that are that have both aspects to them. Also, you can reverse it. You can have the the one circle have people who love and admire 
George w, George W. Bush, and then you have the circle of people who despise the Obamas, and you put those, and they they connect, and there's going to be people in that little connection point of the two circles, with a crossover that are that that both love W and hate the Obamas, right? Okay, so you got those two. I want to be fair. You can set up both of them. What I'm curious about is how those people in the cross section what they must what must be going on in their brains to deal with the cognitive dissonance of seeing w george w bush and michelle obama being so friendly with each other they really, they seem to be pals now maybe they're just putting that on but it seems really genuine to me how must that that segment what must be going through their minds when they look at that? You know, how dare she be so nice to him? How dare he be so nice to her? What's what's going on? <laughs> it's got to freak him out, don't you think? Good night, Herr Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. Well, I've made it to the end of another show. Oh, and before I forget, I hope three cool, at least three cool things have happened for you this last week. You've been listening to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, and I'm reminding all of you to sleep with the lights off. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for, for tuning us in. What? 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 Well, well I'm going to hell. hell.